Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is a mental health therapist, yoga teacher and psychology PhD student and they help people to heal through connecting with themselves, others and the world. Welcome to the show all the way from Pennsylvania, Kira Markov. Thanks John, it is a pleasure and an honour to be here. I'm really excited. This is one of my favourite topics to talk about because I uh, use this information professionally when I do therapy with couples mm-hmm. and it's also the the focus of my research, uh, my, my PhD research right now. So I love coming at it from all of those different angles. You get the research side, you get the practical side, and then I'm also a yoga and meditation teacher. So I love having the perspective from all of those different worlds. It just makes it really exciting and full for me. Uh, awesome. Uh, you've already started, touched on a few things there, which is great. Um, so could you go into a little bit more detail about uh, the stuff that you've just mentioned there? Because obviously that brief the introduction I gave was very, very brief. Yeah, of course. So I love drawing and kind of integrating and connecting all of the perspectives. So just kind of like in one bite-sized piece, um, two, based on the research, two of the skill sets that are the most predictive of success in a romantic relationship are partner responsiveness and emotion regulation. And so those are kind of like umbrella labels. And then underneath you have all of the skills for a person to actually be able to, to, kind of be in that space for themselves and then demonstrate it with their partner. Mm. And so just from those two skill sets, if we take just, let's say partner responsiveness, because that might be one that's a little confusing for people. Like, what does that really mean? How do I do that? Yeah. You know, you can kind of come at it from like a psychology perspective with um, the Gottmans. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They do uh, research and then also kind of therapeutic work with couples. And so they talk a lot about the word attunement which is just being able to kind of hold space, listen to your partner and kind of hear the needs and the emotions underneath of what they're saying. And that kind of process to be able to attune or to say like, this is kind of surface level what I'm hearing. And I'm also recognizing underneath that you're feeling scared or that you need to be reassured right now. And so that is a really important process of attunement that the Gottmans talk about. And then if we kind of flip over and take it from almost like a a mindful or meditative perspective, um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk who's now deceased, Thich Nhat Hanh, talks about deep listening and loving speech as two ways to communicate mindfully. And when when you think about deep listening, it's exactly that same thing, being able to just hear what a person is saying and accept it without defensiveness, without judgment. And be able to kind of offer them back some loving speech that feels soothing and it feels comforting for them, you know. And so it's kind of like from these very different times and worlds and perspectives, you have these same messages. It's like when you want to connect with a person, they don't need they don't need advice. They don't need you to tell them what they're doing wrong. They just need you to listen and to kind of hear and be be perceptive of kind of that underlying message. Yeah, I think that's that's the, uh, an incredibly uh, rare skill, I think, though, isn't it? it? It's something that, again, like you probably uh, you experience with your couple's work, when I do my couple's work, 
the that you you mentioned about defensiveness and judgment mm -hmm. and and kind of not being able to put yourself in someone else's space right yeah and because we all have experiences we all have I like to call them sensitivities, right? Like emotional sunburns. You know, I've been hurt before or even from childhood, I have this thing that happened. And so now, you know, I have a sensitivity about something and you might brush up against it, you know, unknowingly, not knowing I have that sensitivity. And then I have a big reaction. And a lot of times my big reaction causes a big reaction in you, mm -hmm. you know, because you weren't expecting me to get so upset. And then things just kind of escalate from there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if person A, the person with the sensitivity is able to come at that with mindfulness and be like, whoa, you know, that's a big reaction. Let me just kind of sit with that so that I can kind of understand what's going on and know that I'm having that reaction that can keep it from escalating. Mm. And then from the other side too, if person B who brushed up against that sensitivity is able to be like, whoa, that was a big reaction. Like I wasn't expecting that. That can also make a really big difference. And it's just about being able to be in the present moment being able to kind of hear what they're saying, not take it personally, recognize when you're having a reaction. And it's not even so much about not having reactions, right? Because that's not possible. We're human beings. Yeah, yeah. We have reactions. Everybody has reactions. You can't <clears throat> stop them. And honestly, the more you try, the bigger they get because you're like holding them back, kind of like waves on an ocean, like you're not doing anything. So it's not about not having the reaction. It's just about being able to recognize you're having the reaction and then not do things that make it worse. Yeah, that's a very complex kind of space to go into. I guess there's a lot of personal and self-development that needs to happen for you to be very aware that you've been triggered, that you're reacting in a certain way, and then to be able to kind of manage that and keep your focus and your attention on what's right in front of you. And for the other person, then obviously to recognize they might have triggered you and yeah. trying to get something from you at the time. And, and to be able to bring all that together, well, that takes a lot of kind of, focusing on each other I guess right exactly yeah and that's what this partner responsiveness is all about I'm able to be in this moment be paying attention I have the space and the availability to be able to do that because it does it takes a lot of self-regulation and that's kind of a big issue that I see in couples a lot and you probably do also is that we try to have conflicts at times when we don't have the emotional availability or the energy available to be able to handle it well right yeah. I'm coming home after a long day I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm hot, I'm hungry, whatever. And that's when I want to have a conversation about something, you know, tense between us. Like, yeah. that's not a good choice. <laughs> or even if it's not tense, just having to sometimes trying to have a right. conversation about nothing. Is, exactly. Is, is, is Instead just of not, just coming in right? and saying like, hey, I've had a really long day. I need some time to like decompress, mm. you know? And again, that's that self-monitoring piece. That's that I know that I... I'm in a space where I'm irritable or where, you know, I'm likely to, to cause a fight. And so I need to go and take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And depending on your relationship with a partner, you can also help, you know, ask for help co-regulating, you know, telling them like, hey, I've had a really hard day. And the Gottmans actually talk about this too. And so does Thich Nhat Hanh, interestingly enough, talk about kind of recruiting your partner and asking for help and being specific with what your need is. Because if mm -hmm. I just come to my partner, I'm like, hey, I've had a really bad day. They're going to look at me a lot of the time and be like, well, what do you want me to do about that? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And so if you can follow that up, if you have the insight to be able to say, I've had a really hard day, I would love, you know, a really long hug or, you know, I would love if you could just bring me a glass of cold water, you know, and kind of follow it up with a really specific request for how they can help you. Because the, 
the hope is that you're in a relationship where your partner wants to help you. Your partner wants you to feel good. And so if you're able to say, hey, having a really hard time, here's this really specific thing that you can do to help me feel better. The hope is that your partner will step up and do that. Now, of course, we know that not all relationships are like that, but that's kind of what we're hoping for. Well, definitely. That's, that's what we are hoping for, isn't it? It's that uh, kind of wanting to engage in a space where you're where you're able to offer something of yourself to make your partner feel better rather than worrying about how you're feeling. And, and like you said earlier on about going into those kind of triggered spaces, because that can happen quite a lot. Right. If we're not self-aware, if we don't if we're not self-aware and we're not aware of the other person, then that's going to be a very difficult thing for people to try and try and do, isn't it? Right. And that kind of leads into like, what does mindfulness really mean? Because I think the word mindfulness gets thrown around a lot and it gets kind of a little confusing of like, what does it really mean? How do I practice it? And so I did want to kind of touch on that a little bit too. Yeah. And the way that I have conceptualized mindfulness, honestly, comes from the research that I've done. So there is, um, a, have you heard of John Kabat-Zinn? No. Okay, so John Kabat-Zinn, he's um, out of Massachusetts, I believe. Mm, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, no, no, he, I wouldn't be able to do that anyway. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so he started um, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. <laughs> and essentially what it is, is it's an eight-week program, and you go through and you practice mindfulness, meditation, yoga, et cetera. It's for stress relief, and they do it for people with, you know, cancer to help with stress-related symptoms. Anyways, the point being, mm. he has a definition of mindfulness that was used by members in the research, uh, like, community to develop a um, kind of like a survey questionnaire or a paradigm for how to think about mindfulness. Mm. And it's based on his work. Mm. And so essentially, mindfulness is uh, five components. That's how they boiled it down. So it's the ability to observe, describe, act with awareness, um, be non-reactive to internal events. So that's thoughts, feelings, um, just internal body sensations, right. and then also to be non-judging of those internal events. Again, thoughts, feelings, internal sensations. Okay. And so when you can talk about mindfulness in that really specific way, we can start to see how a person might use mindfulness, how it becomes practical, mm -hmm. and also how it's a skill set that can be also practiced. Right. So if I think that mindfulness is just a state of being, then it's like, well, I can't get there, you know, so then it's not helpful. It's not accessible for me. Yeah. yeah. But when you can start to talk about mindfulness as a set of skills, we can go, oh, you know, I can practice observing what's going on. Like, that's not so hard. I can practice describing, you know, and some of these things start to line up with other other paradigms. Right. So we mentioned the Gottmans and they have the four horsemen of the apocalypse right, which are kind of four behaviors that you see that really indicate like, hey, your relationship is is a little dysfunctional or headed for a bad space. Right, okay. And each of those four horsemen have antidotes. And when you look at those antidotes, um, it's it lines up really nicely with those practicable skills from mindfulness. Okay, cool. So like you said, that's that's that makes it very clear doesn't it and what mindfulness could actually be <clears throat> and like you said that's he's thrown around quite a lot of mindfulness and and it has been something where i say well, what, what what does it actually mean and what what am i doing and, and does that mean i've got to meditate or all those types of things that it gets can kind of confused with um but to put it in those five simple steps is 
I think the judgment one might be more of a difficult thing for people to uh, master because we are very good at judging ourselves as well as um, judging other other people. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, like you said, if you break that down into those five steps, it's something we can all aspire to. And if we yeah. bring it into our relationships and being mindful of our space. Yeah. And so kind of to use that example that we touched on earlier, is like, you know, the person coming home from work, right? Coming home from work, had a long day, hot, tired, hungry, et cetera. You know, we have the observation, which is just the noticing, right? I'm really tired. I'm really stressed. I need some time to relax, right? All of that is observation. Mm. And then the describing piece, which is to kind of put all of that in words so that your partner can understand it. Because then you tell them, hey, had a really long day. It would make me feel really nice if you could do X. That's that describing piece, you know? And then non-judging, I'm letting myself have this reaction. I'm not telling myself like, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm, you know, drained or, oh, I don't take enough good care of myself because I let myself get it. Like there's none of that extra story that comes along with it. It's just mm -hmm. simply the observation. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I need to relax. You know, yeah. I'm a human being with a body that needs taken care of, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's kind of where that non-judging piece comes in. Non-reactivity, Again, kind of like, I don't have to have a reaction to that. I don't have to try to fix it in any way necessarily. I don't have to have a story around it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to act with awareness, which is to use intention to make choices. And in this case, it's the person acting with the intention of, hey, I'm going to communicate with my partner so that I can be really intentional with the way that I'm taking care of myself and, you know, prioritizing myself and my relationship. Mm -hmm. So just kind of in a nutshell, that's how all five of those might fit into maybe a 30 second interaction. And I think that's also really good if you can if you can figure that out for yourself and put that into practice and then dependent on what the, res the reaction or the response you get from the other person. I think that again, that was right. maybe how good or what kind of quality of relationship you're actually having with that person as well, right? Because again, if they're, if you're able to explain, this is how I feel, this is why I feel this way, this is what I need from you mm -hmm. and they don't, kind of i mean we can't expect them to be able to just jump in and say okay if that's what you need that's what i'm going to give you because we're not taking into account where they might be either in that space exactly <clears throat> but if you never get a response that helps you in that space i think that's an important thing to kind of think about as well if if that person is actually going to be able to offer you the things that you need mm -hmm. and the gottmans do touch on that in their own work they call them bids right bids for connection and mm -hmm. so there are different ways that a person can respond to a bid. It can be just ignored, which is like, I did not realize that you were asking me to do something. Mm -hmm. Or it can be denied, which is like, um, you're asking me for a glass of water and I'm just telling you like, no, I'm not going to do that for you, yeah. you know? And then the other one obviously is just that they, they comply or they kind of meet the need where it's being asked. Yeah. And of course this is a really um like concrete kind of in your face example i'm saying can you get me a glass of water and you're either ignoring me telling me no or getting it for me but there are a lot of other kinds of bids that happen kind of under the surface not so like not so discreetly and mm -hmm. so that can be kind of more likely where issues come in because i might you know i might send you a text hey having a hard day and that's a bid for connection because i want you to kind of meet that and kind of comfort or reassure or support me in some way mm. you don't realize that that's what i'm asking for mm. and so then you know you don't respond in a way that makes me feel good and yeah. again that kind of goes into 
the the Gottman bids situation and also kind of falls under that umbrella of partner responsiveness, mm-hmm. right? And again, so just kind of all ties. That's that's very interesting as far as how people can interact and and the things that we could be doing in order to be more attentive and be more engaged in our relationships. And now your research is is some looking into this as well, right? Yeah. So my research study is uh, currently collecting data. So I don't have results to be able to share at this time. But there are studies that are really similar to mine that I've kind of I've been um, drawing my uh, kind of like you can think of them as like ground rules or kind of the boundaries for my study. So there were two particularly that were published, one in 2015, one in 2019, mm-hmm. that were looking at um, mindfulness and how it affects behaviors during conflict. So there are different strategies that people use unintentionally most of the time during a conflict situation. But then also beyond that, these studies were looking at partner satisfaction, commitment, overall um, relationship maintenance kind of stuff. So all of that kind of in my research specifically is focused just on those five aspects of mindfulness that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. and how, if at all, they predict um, each of six different romantic partner conflict strategies. So the strategies that I'm looking at in my research are compromise, which essentially is like, when we don't see eye to eye, are we able to come together, have discussion, and kind of make a choice as a team about how we want to go forward? And of course, that's kind of the ideal situation. That's what we'd like to have happen. Yeah. Um, but as we both know, that's not I would say that's not even usually what happens. <laughs> so the other strategies. <laughs> I, just, I just want to tap into that word compromise. I've talked about this yeah. before. Now, of course, there's a lot of issues when I do the couples work, especially, but even when I'm talking to individuals. And again, it's a trigger for me as well, because compromise feels always, if you've got this kind of idea of it, that you're giving something up. Mm. Uh, and I think is is I'm not sure about it as a word, really, when it comes to relationships, because it always strikes me as as something that could be like, oh, compromise. I'm not sure if I really want to. I really want to compromise. And like you said, it's a very and an not a normal space for us to want to step into. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it really depends on not only the the definition of the word compromise, right, but then also kind of how it's being treated. So in the way that it's being treated in my research study so the kind of the way that the the authors of the tool that i'm using conceptualized it is kind of more along the lines of um, being able to feel like we're in a partnership so being able to come alongside the partner and discuss things together Mm -hmm. is kind of more what it's like like one of the um one of the questions. So essentially there's like a sentence and then the person kind of rates how much they agree or how often they do that with their partner. Mm -hmm. So one of them might be something like, um, when we disagree, my partner and I come to a decision that uh, feels good for both of us, you know, or we talk the problem through until we come up with a resolution, you know, so that's kind of more how they talk about compromise. What you're talking about to me sounds more like a different um, conflict strategy which is like submission and domination Mm -hmm. where one person kind of gets to decide and then the other person just goes along with it so that the conflict can be over. 
yeah yeah i, I agree there's that's definitely the element to that but there's also the kind of the idea of of actually being too stuck in your own space type thing you know why would i ha- why do i have to give something up in order for this to be resolved um, yeah i think that's unfortunately i think that's quite a uh a powerful human trait as well isn't it that i think i don't we're not taught about you know like you said unless it's about being dominated or people pleasing or something like that where we feel like our needs aren't worthy deserving and things like that so therefore we don't stay in our own space and push what we want or what we need from people who are in relationships um but there's also that idea of we're not taught that it's okay that we can negotiate here it's not we're not taught actually that it's okay for me to maybe give something up in order for this relationship to be okay um, mm-hmm. and i think that's that's a point that i would love to get across to people a lot of the time is actually just because you're maybe compromising maybe you are not going to get it entirely your own way then that's okay so long as it means that your relationship is healthy harmonious and functioning in, in, in a good way and honestly i like to think of that as one function of mindfulness because um it's interesting the word that was translated into mindfulness is also sometimes translated as being in remembrance. And so part of being mindful is remembering important things in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So when you and I are in conflict or when we don't see eye to eye, being able to remember, Hey, my relationship is more important than whether or not I, you know, pick my shoes up after myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and being able to kind of keep that perspective in the moment is very difficult for people. Yeah. Yeah, because we all have the other way the things we like them to be, don't we? And though, like you said, even the things like the shoes, the small irritants, that, the things that we take on board. But like you right. said, you're not being mindful at all, is it? You know, if you're allowing yourself to be irritated, I mean, if there's a constant maybe disregard of your of what you want and what you need, I think that's a completely different space. But if it's just that I like it this way and you're not doing it the way I like it, um we need to be very mindful actually that this is just the way I like it and you don't like it that way so I need to let you grab yeah. it yeah and I sometimes will ask people you know would you rather be right or would you rather be helpful hmm. you know because you can look at that situation with the shoes like objectively yes your partner should pick up after themselves and put their shoes away however is that the most effective strategy in your relationship is that going to get you what you want long term big picture hmm. You know, but people have a really hard time, like you said, when I feel like I'm correct, I have a hard time giving that up. Yeah, most definitely. And it's a big stumbling block for people. Yeah, we like to keep that stuff very close to ourselves, don't we, in order to kind of keep ourselves safe and protected and and whatever other reasons Mm -hmm. we have for doing so. So I'm glad that you brought that up. It reminds me, I just saw um, a quote about um, Abraham Maslow. So Maslow is a psychologist, uh, was a psychologist. and he developed what's called the, um, it's it's a pyramid of needs, right? And so it's a hierarchy. So the things on the bottom are the most important. And then it builds up on tiers to things. And you have to satisfy the lower level before you can move up, right? And on that basic level is safety. Mm-hmm. So when something is identified as a safety issue, it automatically becomes the most important issue, mm-hmm. even above social connection or maintaining a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's important to remember that just because something feels like a safety issue doesn't mean it's actually a safety issue. Yeah, a lot of that's going to be very much a perceived idea in your head based on your own experiences and what you deem as unsafe, isn't it? 
exactly. I'm a firm believer that now money feels like a safety issue because if my money is threatened, my shelter is threatened, my food is threatened, my job, my transportation, everything. So I think that's one of the reasons that finances are such a stressor for people. Mm. You know, it causes so much conflict in the relationship because it feels like a safety issue. And most of the time we don't have the insight and awareness to name it, mm. right? To We just feel, yeah. you know, tense and frustrated and stressed out and maybe blaming, right? All of those things that come out and we don't see the the underneath right? Where it's like, I feel really unsafe, mm. you know? And mm. yeah, sorry, go ahead. it comes back to that mindfulness again, isn't it? It's being very mindful about actually exploring why you feel the way that you do. Why are you getting these reactions in your body? Why are you feeling tense and stressed about something you probably can't put your finger on? And what is the real underlying issue that's creating that for you? Yeah. It's so funny. I just had a conversation with my sister about this the other day, actually. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 um, texted her in Facebook messenger. And I was like, it's like, I think I need to get out of the house. I'm there's a part of me. This is what I said. I was like, there's a part of me that really wants to cause a fight with my partner. I was like, and I feel like I just need to get out of the house before that happens because I know that it's not about him. Mm. Right. I had all of these different stressors going on. I was like, I know it's not about him, yeah. but that thing inside of me wanted to pick a fight. And I was like, I know that's not going to be helpful. And it's just going to cause problems. And so I did, I left the house for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> And figured out what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was my research study, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's quite a lot of, uh, taken up quite a lot of your headspace at the moment. But it was just, I mean, imagine had I not had that insight and awareness, right? Mm. And had just kind of started the fight with him over Mm. something stupid, right? Like shoes on the floor, right? It's maybe not never, but I would say almost never just about the shoes on the floor, you know? Most people are able to say, like, objectively, that's not a big deal. It takes two seconds. But like you said, it's what that represents and everything else that's behind it. Mm. Yeah. So can we come back to your studies then? Yes, absolutely. We started off with compromise and we got into a quite a detailed and interesting conversation about that. Um, Yeah. What's the next thing that you're kind of looking at in your study? So the the six conflict strategies that I'm looking at are compromise, Mm. avoidance, Um, which is just, it's what it sounds like people avoiding conflict because they are uncomfortable with it. They don't believe it's ever helpful. They don't know how to have conflict. You know, there's a lot of different reasons people might avoid conflict. Um, So that's the second one, separation, which is like, you know, when we start to have conflict, we take some space um, and that's just kind of where it ends. And so there's a lot that can go into that too, which is like, are we separating for a short time and then coming back and resolving or are we separating and then avoiding? And that makes a big difference. Um, And then you have dominance and submission. Like I said, one person always gets their way. One person always lets the other person get their way. Um, And then the last one is interactional reactivity, which is um, just having big emotional reactions during a conflict, whether it's like anger or frustration, or uh, usually those are the big ones. Tears. Some people have, you know, tears when there's conflict. So those are the six strategies. And so essentially what I'm looking at um, is each of the five facets of mindfulness individually, mm-hmm. do they, and if so, how how much, how consistently do they predict the levels of these six conflict strategies? Right. You know, and hopefully the results of my study can be used to support the need for like mindfulness-based interventions to use for couples treatment. That's my long-term goal, assuming, you know, favorable results. 
And the current research around this topic really supports that that would be a, a helpful and worthwhile use of resources because it does. It takes a lot of resources, time, money, energy, you know, all of those things to put together an intervention and then test it. You know, it's a, it's a really long process, yeah. but there's quite a bit of existing research that says like, hey, this would be a really good use of our time. And so now it's kind of just the research is trying to understand we call it mechanisms, which is like, why does, like, we know that it works, but why and how does it work? Mm -hmm. Western literature is <laughs> very focused on understanding things. Most definitely. We yeah. don't like the, the just, it works, so we're going to do it. Like, yeah. we don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm looking at the, each of the five traits of mindfulness really individually. But like I said, there are two other research studies published around this topic. And some of the most interesting findings um, from the 2019 study, they found that Female mindfulness. So this was just with um, heterosexual monogamous couples. Yeah. So female mindfulness predicted a decrease in male um, reactivity, mm -hmm. right? So the more mindful the female partner was, the less likely the male partner was to be reactive. Yeah. And to me, that speaks really clearly to co-regulation. Mm -hmm. If I can be regulated, if I can be present and you know, fully present, fully relaxed. That's how I describe, you know, being in a mindful state. Mm -hmm. I'm fully aware of everything that's going on and my body is calm. Then it makes it less likely for that male partner to have really big emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. And there's a psychological theory, it's called polyvagal theory. Mm -hmm. And it talks about states of being uh, through the lens of nervous system functioning. And essentially the the idea is that our nervous systems are in communication below the level of our awareness. So if I can send you cues of safety, cues of comfort, kind of almost like reassuring cues with my body language, with my tone, with the words that I'm choosing, I can help your nervous system also to be in a more regulated, calm, focused, present state. Yeah, most definitely. I completely agree. Because again, we feed off energy of other people all the time, don't we? And if mm -hmm. I come in to a situation like you said even with you the other day if you'd have gone into your into your partner with about egging for a fight and he yeah. was in a calm measured space and he could say to you kira i can see that you're a bit stressed at the moment can you tell me what this is about because it's clearly not about us if he'd have gone into his energy and sort of said what, what are you having to go at me for right. um, <laughs> you know, then then you could that would have escalated into something else because he would have just felt that coming off of you right uh, mm -hmm. yeah I can yeah it is uh, and if like you said if we can remain in a fully present state as much as possible where we don't have that reactivity um someone is going to subconsciously pick up on that and hopefully <laughs> I'm just thinking of some of the people I've dated in the past <laughs> play with that and they don't keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to try and get a different kind of reaction out of you uh, right than, than the one you're actually offering them um, and I think again, especially important with met with with the male and like the masculine energy, isn't it? That the masculine energy, if you can come in and offer a softer space for that, um, you're going to get a much calmer um, person coming at you. Right, and it's interesting because Thich Nhat Hanh actually talks about mindfulness as a skin, you know, and how our skin is our protective layer, and without it you know, or even when our skin is damaged, we're so much more susceptible to disease, injury, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of think about mindfulness in that way too, of like, if I'm able to really practice mindfulness, be in remembrance, you know, have a, a calm body, soothing breath, right. And also remember 
like you are stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can remember all of the things that are stressing you out or remember that your reaction isn't about me, remember I haven't done anything to cause this reaction, yeah. right? All of these things, I'm protected in some way from the energy that you're putting off, right? I'm able to maintain in polyvagal theory, they call it ventral energy, which is this place of like compassion and peace and calm and, you know, organized energy. I'm able to maintain some of that and not go into immediate, like, you know, stress response or shut down or anger at whatever it is that you're throwing at me. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you can, uh, what, what I was, what I would like to say is actually once your research is done, please come back onto the show. Uh, oh, I would love to <laughs> talk about your results, but actually I'd like to see how then that links up to the other studies as well. I'd like to talk about that a bit more if possible. Yeah, uh, I have to write about it for the end of my dissertation anyways, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll look forward to hearing about that when it's when it's done. Um, so to, on a personal level, so tell me a bit more about your kind of, um, your the significance of relationships to you in your life. There's a story that uh, we, we, we touched on before the show, which, I, which I'd like you to, to, to talk about, but relationships to you what's the significance of them and uh and what kind of impact do they have on you so it's interesting I've actually wanted to do couples therapy since I was probably in middle school um which I think is interesting I don't think mm. most middle schoolers see themselves doing that yeah. and I think I just had this awareness from a really young age that relationships matter to people and I saw that good relationships were so nourishing and supportive and comforting but relationships that were dysfunctional or stressful caused so much harm mm. you know and so it was this thing that had the potential to be so wonderful but there were stumbling blocks that made it so so hurtful and caused so much suffering for people mm. and so i saw that and i really wanted to help people be able to tap into all of the benefits that a romantic relationship could provide. Mm. And I grew up in a really close knit church community. And so I think maybe part of that awareness came from being around so many married couples and kind of seeing the different interactions um, and seeing so many different relationship dynamics. I was, I've always been pretty good at picking up on patterns. Right. So I think that might've been, I was just exposed to so many different kinds of relationships. So I saw, you know, the good ones. And then I saw the ones that caused a lot of suffering. That's very astute for a young young lady to put those things together, however, right? Because mostly we wouldn't do that. We would just live the experience and we wouldn't objectively sort of step back and go, oh, I can see that I can see the patterns here. But clearly the way that the way that you are as a person, you you you're able to see that straight away. Which kind of ties really back into this conceptualization of mindfulness as practicable skills mm. is that some people are just more naturally mindful. You know, like you could never have heard of mindfulness, but you take this questionnaire and you score off the charts just because it's, it's a set of skills. And so you might be able to practice them without any formal training, without knowing what it is that you're doing, just because that's how you exist, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's another reason that I really like this is people can be mindful and practice mindfulness without having to know that that's what mm -hmm. they're doing. But again, you, you saw the significance and the impact of relationship. I wish I'd seen that when I was a kid, because it would have made such a big difference to my own life. Um, but you noticed that how people interacted with one another made a huge significant difference to their overall kind of well-being and how they were as people. 
Yeah. And even now when I'm thinking about it, I can think back to when I was a kid in, in my church community and a few couples spring to mind immediately that was like, oh, like I saw them having a really good partnership, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and it's just interesting that they're there kind of in the forefront of my mind. And I saw them helping each other and working as a team. And, you know, I, I wasn't, of course, in kind of like the intimate details of their life where I saw them having conflict, you know, mm-hmm. but I kind of saw the the outward facing just kind of weeness, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it does, it makes a difference. And I think I also felt it for myself. You know, I felt even in friendships, family relationships, what it feels like to have someone who's really supportive mm-hmm. and what it feels like to have someone who's just not. Yeah. Yeah. I think as an adult now I can look back and go, okay, I can see the differences, but as a child, I would never have been able to have been aware enough to go, okay, this is not a healthy relationship for me. This is a healthy relationship for me. I would have just reacted to what was ever going on around me. But again, to like yeah. again, if we could, if again, that's, I was talking to someone at a networking yesterday about what, what, what would I teach children about relationships if I, mm. we were talking about exactly this it's, it's about that awareness mm-hmm. of what's going on around you because again as as children especially we internalize everything I and mean, it's always about us so if i'm getting told off because my, my parents are in a bad space i will think i've done something wrong even if it's got nothing to do with me whatsoever uh, and i will get confused in that because i probably know that i'm not doing anything wrong but they might right. be for something and, and making me feel a certain way even though i'm completely unaware of what's going on around me but to have that again that mindfulness that awareness that actually as a child and I know cognitively maybe and emotionally development wise that might not be uh something that can then everyone could be able to do but you're you're an example of someone that could do that from an early age and and has that helped you throughout your experiences your own personal relationships having that awareness Well, I think part of it is that we kind of build, we build on it. So from an early age, I didn't have the words to describe it the way that I'm describing it to you now, Mm. but I, I knew, you know, these are the kind of people I want to be around. And these are the kind of people that I don't feel good being around Mm -hmm. and kind of just starting there because that's kind of a really physical response. And you don't have to think too hard about it. You know, if you were to ask a kid, you know, who do you like to be around? Who do you not like to be around? You know, why do you like to be around them? Mm. You know, then you start to build their awareness because you're asking them these questions and they already know. They mm. just may not have ever realized that they know it or thought about it enough yeah. to realize. Yeah. yeah, no, great. I think that's just something, again, if you're a parent listening to this or involved with children or this might even be something you're going to go into professionally, I think that's a really good thing to be able to tap into with them isn't it like you said they might not be able to constructively put an answer together but they'll they'll know who they feel comfortable around and who they don't feel comfortable around and I think that's uh and again maybe then it's be able to explore why they feel uncomfortable what that's about for them I think that'd be a really good skill for to, for kids to learn and you are building mindfulness skills right because in that we're building observing skills describing skills so yeah. I just had to throw that in there I couldn't oh, let that no, <laughs> So tell me the story about you and your husband. In so this happened probably over two years ago. It was a while ago, but it sticks with me. Um, we were in Home Depot and my husband is, I think, a third generation Mason. So he can spend a long time in like a, a home store. So we'd been walking around probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Like I'm tired. My feet hurt. I've never spent so much time in a Home Depot. Probably if you took all of my other Home Depot experiences and pushed them together. And so I was getting like really frustrated and irritated. And I remember just, 
I, I can see it in my mind still. I remember stopping at the end of an aisle and I just closed my eyes and I started doing this. Um, it's one part of a, a larger, it's called a pebble meditation, mm. but I did this one part and essentially you just use the, the affirmation or the mantra breathing in. I see myself as a mountain breathing out. I feel firm. And I repeated that breathing in, I see myself as a mountain breathing out. I feel firm. And when you do that exercise, part of it is inviting yourself to embody the characteristics of a mountain to feel immovable, to feel strong, to feel steady. And so I did that. And like I said, probably for five or eight rounds of breath. And then my whole demeanor was changed. I noticed things in the Home Depot that were interesting to me. And yeah. I was able to enjoy the experience. Okay. And it shifted me from a mindset of, you know, this really sucks. Why is he doing this to me? I just want to leave, you know, to hey, this is like really fun. We can enjoy doing this together. Like this is some time that we can be together and enjoy each other's company. And honestly, to me, that's that's what mindfulness is about. You know, so often we get caught up in the day-to-day -day stressors that we lose the ability to enjoy spending time with our partner. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I had this very much a very similar conversation not so long ago um, about actually making time spending time and how you can get lost in the day-to-day -day where you just feel kind of distant from one another and, mm -hmm. and you're not actually feeling close and and there's some kind of that bond is kind of breaking somewhere and it's really important that you are mindful about your relationship and, and what that needs to be nurtured in order to keep that connection and bond together and I did want to bring up um so this is my book I don't know if you've seen it I'm very proud of it but um my book goes through for the people 50... that are just listening can you just tell them what the book oh, yeah so this is mindfulness and me a practical guide for living awesome. um it's eight weeks of daily mindfulness practices and actually the pebble meditation that i mentioned is in here um and to me mindfulness is some it starts with you you know there are practices that you can do with your partner to make it a collaborative experience mm -hmm. But if you remember back to the beginning, the two skills were partner responsiveness and emotion regulation. That's that's on you to practice. Mm. You know, that's something that you can do on your own to build up your own mindfulness skills to be able to interact with your partner in a more mindful way. And also the rest of your life. You know, your relationship is a big part of your life and it's really important, but you're also a full person. And it's important to be a well person so that you can show up to your relationship in a meaningful and positive way yeah no, I, I couldn't agree more it's interesting isn't it that again when we talk about relationships we sometimes overlook the relationship with ourselves uh, and how significant and i mean ultimately is, is that is the number one thing we need to be mindful of isn't it it's something we really do need to look after because if our relationship with ourselves isn't in the great space then it's likely to bleed out into all the other relationships that we have and 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 those issues that maybe we have in ourselves are going to show up all over the place. Exactly. I mean, how many times did we talk about needing personal insight to be mm. able to share that and provide that context for our partner? Mm. Definitely. Uh, thank you, Kira. I'm afraid we are running out of time. Um, we, again, one of these conversations that could go on for a lot longer. And I'm, I'm definitely, we need to get you back to, to talk about your research findings when they're when they're out and carry on these conversations. If people want to reach out and get in touch with you, how can they do that? 
So I have a website. It's um, www.connectionsmindbody.com. And so you can contact me through my website. There's also some free resources. So free mindfulness practices, meditation practices, a couple of yoga practices on there, just free to people to okay. use. Great. Uh, the, the link for that will be in the show notes. And if people want to get the book, can they get that via your website too? Or do they need to go to? No, uh, you can purchase a signed copy from my website. You can also order it from Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart carries it. Um, you can order it directly from the publisher, John Hunt Publishing. Awesome. Thank you very much. And do you have a words of wisdom or a, a favorite quote or something you'd like to leave them listeners with today? You know, I was a little miffed, actually, when I realized that three years of research could be summed up in a meme. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, keep calm and be kind. That's literally all it boils down to. If there's only one thing you take away from today. Keep calm and be kind. Uh, thanks for your time, Kira. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's flown by. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.